the most important thing is that you keep going, right? It's not that you get done in six months so you can find a job. You got to take care of yourself. You got to take breaks, but you still have to keep going, you know, even if it's just a tiny bit every day. Hello and welcome to the Scrimba podcast. On this weekly show, I speak with successful developers about their advice on how to learn to code and get your first junior developer job. I'm Alex and today I'm joined by Molly, who is a successful Scrimba student from America. She just got hired as a developer, but before that, Molly was a designer creating graphics for a supermarket called Safeway. It was only during the pandemic that Molly decided to pick up a little old passion of hers called coding. You see, Molly had dabbled with coding and even studied it a bit at school, but it wasn't until she had this uninterrupted time during the lockdown that she really built that momentum needed to make this career change. And that momentum is so important. It's something I encourage everybody listening to cultivate in some way, because when Molly returned to the office as a designer, she kept up coding on the side about one to two hours every day after work. In this episode, you're going to learn how to become that snowball that just continues to build momentum and power and speed towards the destination, while also balancing learning to code with the rest of your life. You are listening to the Scrimmer Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Let's get into it. When I was a teenager, I got into just basic HTML and CSS. I don't know if you've ever heard of the website Neopets, but there was a bunch of teenage girls who we were able to like customize the website. I don't think it was probably a security risk, but you could use CSS to kind of create your own website. That's so funny. <laughs> and then I went to school for computer science and just, it didn't really work out because at my university, they did it the most boring way possible. It wasn't project-based. It wasn't, it was just like, here's Java, go write it out on a piece of paper. And I was like, no, this isn't going to work out for me. You're kidding. They wanted you to write Java on paper. Yeah. Like I had a bunch of tests where, you know, it was like, solve this problem and write it out in my hand. You know, you have to write like the curly braces and brackets and everything. And I'm just like, this is the worst. And the semicolons because Java you need the semicolons. Yeah, they're optional in JavaScript, but not Java, eh? But anyway, I changed my major, got into more of the design side of things. And only recently I was able to kind of go back and kind of restart learning all of it. Wow, that's so interesting then, because you started with computing, but then you just weren't getting on with it because of the curriculum. So you tried design instead. You've been doing that, I think, since 2011 or something. And now 10 years, 10 years later, you're coming back to coding. Yep. So did you enjoy designing and what kind of design did you do? I did enjoy it. I originally wanted to do more of a digital design, but just, you know, life worked out. So I ended up doing a lot more uh, like print based design. So I worked for two different grocery stores over the past 10 years, one in Pennsylvania where I was originally from and then one out here in the Northwest. So what does that entail? Is it like designing packaging for their products or is it maybe more like the banners and stuff they hang up in the store? Yeah, it's more of the stuff inside the store. I did one package design. That was about it. But I did a lot of, yeah, if you walk in the store, like Christmas time, you'll see, you know, big pictures of turkeys and stuff. That's the kind of things that I made. Wow, that's so interesting then because there's like a seasonality to it. But at the same time with grocery stores, there's often like a lot of psychology about sort of influencing customer decisions and things. Mm -hmm. Was this like part of the role, thinking through those kind of things? Yeah, a little bit. You got to make sure you don't use, you know, the wrong colors, which is kind of tricky because Safeway uses a lot of red. And people, you know, generally don't like red because it's this big, bold, angry color. 
So you had to kind of work through that. So sounds like you were having a pretty good crack at it. Why is it all these years later you decided to pick up programming again? A lot of it was COVID, honestly. I started working from home and I got a lot of time back. I didn't have to commute anymore. And I happened to get an email from Scrimbo that was like, sign up for this career path. And I was like, you know what? Let's do it. Why not? Because I had tried previously to get back into it. I had done like Udemy courses and, you know, all the other stuff that you never finish. And it just kind of, you know, dropped off. And I think for some people, there's like this catalyst where they realize, oh my gosh, the world has like moved to coding. I don't like my job. What can I do and actually teach myself from home or at least not have to go to university to be successful at? And it's normally through that series of questions they arrive at coding and they're on square one, you know, like they have to figure out the right course and disciplines, whether it's front-end or back-end. But it sounds like in your case, you always had this in the back of your mind. You know, when you studied computing at college originally, did you retain any of it coming into things like Scrimble or do you feel like you were starting from the very beginning again? I think I retained, you know, some of the basic ideas of how coding works and, you know, coming from Java, which is really strict and learning that JavaScript doesn't care about most of these things, you know, tech types of variables and semicolons and everything. That was a little bit of a shock, but I had remembered a lot of my like CSS. And so it was pretty much just learning everything they've added to CSS since then. All of the, you know, Flexbox and Grid and stuff, that was all new. How long did it take you to master things like Grid and Flexbox? It took me a while. You have to do it a lot and I still get it backwards. I'll put like flex row and I'll look at it and be like, nope, that's the wrong one and switch it over to column every time. <laughs> it's like the USB port. You got to do one way and then eventually you'll get back to it. Yeah. You're literally guaranteed to get it wrong the first time. So you, you just flip it before you even try. And then of course that's wrong as well. And you wonder why you even bothered. Yeah. What was it then that drove you to not only learn to code and brush up, but you sustained it right to the point where where you recently got hired as a developer. I think for me, it was just making sure that I would just keep doing just a little bit every day. So many times, you know, you either burn yourself out because you do too much or you don't do enough. And it's just like, okay, do like a lesson or two a day or, you know, try to work on this project just for a little bit. Um, so I would probably only work on it for like an hour or two every day. So I wouldn't overload myself with work. Yeah, because of course you were doing this alongside a full-time job as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Was that challenging? Definitely. You have to be real careful with your time. You know, you can't just work full time and then spend eight hours after work. You know, I only took a couple hours to make sure I did fun things too. And it took me a really long time. How long would you say? I was trying to figure this out yesterday. I joined the Discord in June. So I probably started around June of 2020. And I just finished like in January of this year. So what, two years? <laughs> year and a half. I don't know. That might feel like a long time and it certainly is a long time to stick at something so consistently, but it's also like a relatively short period of time to learn a brand new skill and change career. And it sounds like you've gone about it and done it in a very sustainable and responsible way. Like, obviously, if you left your job as a designer to focus on development full time, you would have made the transition a lot sooner. Like, clearly, you always had that potential and drive, but you managed to do it quite responsibly, I think, by keeping the security of your job while also skilling up and pursuing something that you enjoy. Was doing it full time ever something you considered? I mean, I've considered it, but quitting my job was just too much of a... <laughs> Gotta pay the bills. So. Yeah, too right. Do you have any advice for anybody else who's teaching themselves how to code alongside a job? I'd love it actually if you expanded a bit more on your sort of daily schedule. 
my main advice would be to watch out for yourself first of all like don't stress about it you know it took me two years so don't rush yourself take breaks if you need to the most important thing is that you keep going right it's not that you get done in six months so you can find a job you gotta take care of yourself you gotta take breaks but you still have to keep going you know even if it's just a tiny bit every day for my schedule I you know start my day around eight o'clock in the morning and depending on you know where I was in the career path I would sometimes take my like lunch break I would eat you know eat some food and then just work on a project or do a lesson or two just to kind of keep it going in the middle of the day and then after work you know around five o'clock I would usually go through a couple lessons or a project depending on where I was you know um, and then you know for kind of from there I would take you know dinner and then I would you know probably not code for the rest of the night I would spend time with family with the cats make sure i would have that extra time to decompress from work and from learning i think that kind of balance is so important and also allowing yourself time to sort of syndicate information and let the dust settle i can't describe the number of times i've struggled to like learn something or crack a coding problem or if i'm writing a post or a script or something i just can't get the words to flow but then i take a break and i do something that replenishes me like a great dinner with a friend for example or even just watching a movie with my girlfriend and i forget about it and i come back to it and all of a sudden it's kind of easy like the answer was in front of me the whole time the thing I really want to understand is like, was this just a kind of hobby for you for a bit? Clearly, you've always had a inclination to work with computers, even if you switch to design. And there's a lot of fun in learning to code, especially on a platform like Scrimba, where it's very challenge based. And it could be something that you do. You know, some people learn to play guitar on the side, right? So they learn to paint. I think learning to code is like a really nice hobby for some people. Was it the case that you like started as a hobby and it just got more and more serious, like you couldn't let it go? Or did you approach this from day zero as something that you thought, okay, I'm actually going to hopefully change career to become a developer. I think I was always kind of on the side of trying to change career. Um, just what level of seriousness I was using at the time, you know, for the years I was doing like a Udemy course here and there, I treated it more like a hobby. I would do it like, oh, Saturday afternoon, I have nothing else to do. Let's work on this for a little bit. And then I would just kind of, okay, that was fun. Um, it wasn't until, you know, later that I was like, okay, let's do this seriously. Like, you got to work on it every day. What was your like mentality during this time? Did you have any doubts? Oh, for sure. I would probably go through like periods of up and down where, you know, you would get to a really good spot where you're like, oh, I finally understand this or I completed this project and it looks really great. And then other times, especially when I started applying for jobs um, and got, you know, rejection after rejection, just being like, oh, this sucks. Am I sure I really want to do this kind of thing? But by that point, it was more like, oh, you spent this much time and effort on it. You can't just stop. Well, I want to get into your job search and how that panned out a little bit later in the interview. But on this point of trying and failing, it gets really sort of demotivating after a little while. You really need like a strong internal intrinsic type of motivation to keep going. And I think you make such an interesting point as well that sometimes I don't think this is an example of this, but it reminds me of the sunken cost fallacy. It's where like you've invested so much in this thing already, you can't give it up. And that's a terrible, terrible thing when you're talking about a business investment, for example, in a business that isn't working or a project that's destined to fail. But when you're bettering yourself, 
and you're trying to change career, it becomes your motivation in a sense. Like you've come this far, you just have to go this little bit further. It's this idea that right now you're a bit demotivated maybe, but if you could go back in time and speak to your yourself when you started your journey, they were probably wishing to be where you are right now. And it just lends itself to some very complicated feelings, I think. What kept you going? I think a lot of it was just not wanting to give up this time. It was a hard feeling to describe. Just once I started, it was, you've come this far, you've done all of this work, you know, month after month, you're still trying it. And that's that was the first for me. So that was kind of my inspiration. Like, hey, this is going to be the one thing that you actually finish that you started. I'll be right back with Molly in just a second. But first, Jan, the producer, and I have a quick favor to ask of you. Hi, if you're enjoying the show and you want to support us so that we can keep making them, the best thing you can do is telling somebody about it. Word of mouth is really important. And if you know somebody who's also learning to code or starting their developer career and you think they would benefit from listening to the Scrimba podcast, we would really appreciate if you told them about it. You can share the show on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Discord, on Mastodon. If you're doing it on Twitter, make sure to mention Alex because... He does read it all, and he also replies to it. We are a weekly show. There's a new episode every Tuesday. We haven't skipped a single Tuesday in 2022. So if you're just discovering the Scramble podcast, there's a lot of great interviews for you to listen to. One week, we talk to a recently hired junior and another with an industry expert. Next week on the show, we're talking to Stephanie. She is an iOS engineer at PayPal. And in her free time, she also helps other self-taught developers break into tech. That's right. She's also self Taught. Originally, she was a chemical engineer and she worked at Colgate. Back in high school, I took a college level computer science course. So in the US, it's it's called like the AP computer science. And I did so poorly on the final exam that I was just like, there's no way I'm ever going to code again because this just like really crushed me. The language I was learning was Java at the time. And I didn't realize there were other types of languages out there. I pretty much held that mindset up until I had quit my first job after college. And I decided I was going to move cross country two weeks later. And I came out to San Diego, California. That's actually when I met my first people who actually work in tech. That's next week on the Scrimba podcast. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts to make sure not to miss it. And now we're back to the interview with Marley. How did you specifically go about teaching yourself coding? I know that you were using Scrimba and the developer career path, but it's not uncommon at all to sort of stitch together a bunch of different resources. And maybe, for example, you're working on a project as a way to practice what you're learning, and that can take you in a few different directions. What was your sort of general study plan and what resources did you use to achieve it? I primarily used Scrimba, but I definitely, one of the things that I made sure to do was do some of my own projects. I did a lot of the career path before a lot of the solo projects got added. So I kind of had to make my own. So I would, you know, learn Flexbox and Grid, and then I would go make a website or I learned React and I did, you know, some React stuff on the side. And recently I've been kind of going more into backend stuff. So I have been using other resources for, you know, like Node and SQL and stuff like that. I feel like the most important thing was just to like either do your own solo projects or do the ones on the career path. Just once you actually have to solve the problem by yourself and you don't have an answer there, you learn those skills of like Googling for help. 
you learn a lot more just doing it on your own. Yeah, I think building your own projects, that's a real sink or swim moment. And I think most people will actually swim, provided they have the right foundational knowledge. It's just the case that you don't have anyone to hold your hand anymore. But at the same time, this is kind of what building your own projects is like. For any requirement you might have for a side project or product, or if you're working for someone for a sort of job, there probably isn't already a tutorial on that thing. At what point did you start to feel like you were ready to apply for jobs? Because obviously you were on this sort of slow and steady approach. On one hand, I think that's a beautiful thing because it's very sustainable and you can go at a pace where you can make very good decisions about what you learn. On the other hand, there is no strict timeline or urgency about getting a job. And that can also, I think, allow you to take your time. So when was the right moment for you to start looking into how to get a job and and actually reach out to companies or apply, for example? That was hard because a lot of the advice is always, you know, just apply if you think you're ready. And I was always like, I don't think I'm ready. (laughs) But I decided to finally just, okay, you learned some React. So that was starting to make sense to me. And I was getting into the more advanced side of, you know, the course. So I was like, okay, now I'm going to start getting my portfolio done, get my resume updated. So I started applying for stuff around then. And I think that was probably the same time I had like talked to my boss about, you know, the yearly performance review and was like, Hey, this is kind of the direction I want to go in. And so I got all of those things kind of started probably around then. That was earlier this year, I would say. Maybe we should let people know now that what happened in the end is that you actually got an opportunity to work as a developer for the same agency you previously worked for as a designer. I think that's a really, really interesting approach to getting your foot in the door. And I'd like to talk about that a bit more in a second. You just said that it was at the beginning of the year that you started this conversation with your manager at the time. Around this sort of time, were you applying to lots of jobs as well? And can you give us some impression about the number of jobs you applied to and how they panned out? Yeah, I would say I was probably applying to some. I I didn't apply to like thousands of jobs, probably only like a hundred or two. Um, I really wanted to work remote. So that kind of cut a lot of potential jobs out. And I was, you know, trying to find ones that would fit for me, either a design background or skills that they wanted or, you know, junior level react. So I didn't have a ton of options. And of course, I got the hundreds of rejections to go along with it. What was the state of junior developer jobs that you can do remotely? Back then, there was a decent amount out there, I would say. There were a few that were like hybrid. So, you know, I live in the Seattle area, so we have a lot of tech companies, a lot of options. So if I was willing to work a hybrid role, there's tons of stuff here. I was willing to do it a little bit, but the more time went on, I was like, I'd really like to stay remote because commuting is the worst. Some junior developers fret about whether they should start remote or in person, because even though remote is a privilege and there are so many advantages, obviously, namely sidestepping the commute, I agree. There are also lots of benefits to being in person around a physical team and just, you know, having someone to tap on the shoulder when you need help. How did that equation look in your head, sort of remote versus in person? I don't really have a problem with, you know, going into the office if, you know, it didn't require like an hour's drive for me. And I do think that's really beneficial probably for most people. But I, you know, I've worked remote for the past two years and have kind of gotten used to it. So I think the transition like for me would be pretty easy just because I already know kind of how to 
work with a team remotely. And plus you'd been learning and coding online. And not only that, but you are very much an active and valued member of the Scrimper community as well, where you'd often been interfacing with other developers online to the point where now you're a community hero, which is our most coveted role. I was, by the way, ahead of this interview, just peeking through some of your messages to see like what you'd been interested in lately. And I noticed you sent something like 2000 messages, which is <laughs> easily the top 10%, but probably top five or 1%. I don't even know. Oh, like when, when did you discover the Scrimber community? getting called out for spending too much time on discord um <laughs> well only helping ever as i understand it i've joined other programming discords kind of when i started and so when i saw the scrim one had started i joined and found it to be a little bit smaller um, a little bit more close-knit than some of the just public ones on the internet that are just full of children <laughs> screaming at each other so I found that that was a really nice kind of balance between people, you know, learning, people helping each other. And so it just was a really good community to get started in. And it really helps, you know, keep me motivated. So I saw other people, you know, like the same people chatting again and again and learning their progress, sharing my progress. And so that really definitely helps with like the motivation. Do you think every new developer should join some kind of community if they're teaching themselves how to code? Definitely. I think doing it by yourself is... It's a choice, but if you ever get a job, you're probably going to be working with, you know, other developers. So you might as well have some support while you learn and you can get used to kind of communicating with people about code questions and code reviews and all of that. So you're applying for jobs and feeling a bit more confident with things like React and Grid and Flexbox. Did you get any sort of interviews from this or did it feel like maybe you were a bit too early at the time? At first I didn't. It probably took me a couple, probably a couple months before I started getting anything more than like a recruiter calling me back and saying, you know, hey, let's talk about this role. And you would talk about it and they would ghost you because they get the info. Oh, you don't actually have any experience. So that happened to me a few times. And that's really demoralizing. But at the same time, you're just like, okay, that's how recruiters are. Most of them. So you just kind of ignored those. And then I did get a couple interviews, a couple little code tests that I had to do. Um, so I did those. Some of them were, you know, build this project and that was fine. That was easy. Some of them were like, hey, do this data structure algorithm thing. And I was like, oh, I'm not ready for this. What was the sort of result of those interviews? Did they get in touch with any next steps? I would say only one of them did. The other ones either I didn't finish the project in time or I never heard back about it. But I had one that I got to like the second or third interview rounds and then I, you know, got rejected for whatever reason. It wasn't Told. You know how in the beginning you weren't getting very far, but then after a couple of months, things started to pick up and you got at least a few more uh, messages and a couple of opportunities to interview. Can you remember what changed during those two months and how you presented that to the outside world? Or was it just a case that things happened to pick up? I do think at one point I went back and reworked my resume. You know, I had a my resume originally and then I wasn't getting any feedback. So I kind of went back, revisited it, looked at resources on the internet of people's resumes for tech jobs and then kind of fixed it a little bit. So I think that helped. And also I had, you know, new projects. I had the quiz app that I did with Scrimba and, you know, put that on my portfolio. So I think kind of going back and looking at my resume was probably one of the things that helped me. That's really cool to know. And one thing I love about this story so far is your perseverance, because, you know, it doesn't always 
fall into place at first. But if you just keep chipping away to eventually something changes and that could be progress, which is good. It could be a learning, which is another type of progress. Or you could actually go on and get a job as I, I know you have. So maybe you can tell me a bit about how this internal role change came about, because I know that's something that isn't often spoken about. I'm sure there will be people listening who are doing a job right now looking for their first developer job. But getting promoted or at least changing role internally is a very interesting angle. Yeah, so I started it with talking to my current boss. And I, you know, obviously you have to kind of know your management and can you have this conversation with your boss? And mine made it pretty clear that she would support any kind of discussion or choice that I had. So I brought it up to her and, you know, it was like, hey, I don't really know where else to go in my career. This is kind of what I've been doing in my free time. This is the direction that I want to go in. And so she was really supportive of that and said, hey, you know, there might be internal roles that you can look into. You should try that. So I did, you know, we have a portal with jobs. And so I searched for, you know, engineers and even like more digital design roles and and so I applied to a few and didn't hear back. And I, you know, I reached out and you know, I talked to my boss and I was like, yeah, I've applied to a couple of things with the company and then nothing, you know, I just get the same generic rejection that I get from other places. And she was like, all right, let's talk to HR. And so she kind of helped me discuss with, you know, our HR representative, you know, this is Marley, this is where she wants to go. Do you have any advice? I didn't really get any advice, but I think I got my name in front of HR because the next time I applied for a role, they reached out to me and were like, hey, let's interview you for this job. Oh, nice. What was the role you applied for called? Uh, just software engineer. And maybe tell us some context about this agency and the work you were doing before and what you'll work on next. So it's primarily like a marketing agency. They have you know contracts with different companies across the country, across the world. Um, they do a lot of printing marketing so they do you know signage and mail advertisements for various companies and so before you were primarily working creating designs for Safeway as a senior graphic designer but then now you'll be working as a developer for different clients on different projects yeah that's wicked how much do you think your experience of that company helped you get this chance to work as a developer because obviously when you apply for developer jobs it's tempting to think that it's got everything to do with your coding ability but oftentimes they don't know you at all they have no idea what your sort of personality is like or your dependability, if you're professional, all those kind of things. But you you already had that reputation at this company. I'm wondering if you think that helped you here. I would think so, yeah. You know, I had what, seven years of experience working for them, which I think definitely helps show that you're not just gonna leave in a year. Because, you know, they got to put a lot of time and effort into training you. So I think that really helped them see someone that they could, that could join the team and stay for the for the long haul. So this new role, is it sort of a, a training opportunity as well? Oh, definitely. I know it's a little bit more backend than what I know. So it's going to definitely require some, some training on my part. But you'll get help from a senior or something? Yeah. Sounds like a dream come true. Definitely. By the way, when you verbalized to your manager that you wanted to change from a designer to a developer, well, clearly you'd been a designer for so many years and were delivering value in your current role. Did you think that they might have reservations about, you know, helping you change roles? when that would essentially create some kind of void if you couldn't work on the design project anymore? I think in certain cases, yes. But my team had, you know, I had trained someone um, to kind of be my backup. So we had the, you know, person to kind of step in and take my job. And it's a good opportunity for that team as well. I've been there for so long now that 
you know, someone else can kind of step up and learn something new and get that new experience for themselves. So I think that kind of helped them be okay with it, knowing that someone knows how to do the job. And I'm still in the company. So I'm always like, hey, you can always reach out to me if you have like a specific question about something I designed in the past or, you know, you need help with something. So I think that really helped. When you got the interview for this developer job, did they really grill you about your coding knowledge? Um, Not really. I think it was more about my teamwork skills and they wanted to know how I worked remotely, how I worked with my team. Because I think for them, a big thing was, hey, you're working with a remote team that's spread across the country, spread across the world, actually. And so you have to be really good with the communication and the being able to work kind of independently or with someone remote. And that's when you told them, hey, I understand your reservations, but did you know I've sent 2000 plus messages on the Scrimba Discord community? So I think I know a thing or two about how to work across time zones. <laughs> you know how many times I've gotten up early to attend scrimpa meetings paid off in the end that actually really helped me because i'm not a morning person at all so like the time zone difference was like oh the scrimpa town halls tuesday morning like that actually helped me set a better schedule but for real you're i think almost always part of the town hall that we host every tuesday and you're a community hero and you're often engaging and helping people in the community Did you get any advice in the community that helped you with your job search and learning to code? Definitely when it came time to applying for jobs and for, you know, resume updates and portfolio. Like I submitted my portfolio uh, way back when and got some good feedback from the community about things I should change and update reading through people's resumes and seeing what their portfolios look like. That all really helped. And how are you finding being a community hero? For context, for anybody listening, our community heroes are our most valued community members because they set such an awesome example for everybody else. Conscientious, kind, helpful, supportive, all those good things. But in recent months, community heroes have also taken on somewhat of a moderation responsibility. We don't need it very often, I hope, in the Scrimba Discord community. It's generally a pretty wholesome place but because we trust our community heroes we think well you know team scrimper isn't awake every minute of every day better to make sure that there's someone we trust with these permissions if something is to go awry how have you been finding the experience these uh, last few months it's been great you get kind of an insight into the community kind of the history of it and then you have this group of people that you can talk to about some stuff and then you're right there's not a whole lot of moderation that needs to be done because it's a really nice really nice community just the occasional nitro spam that i think happens everywhere so molly what's next for you i mean you started recently right how things been going i haven't actually started yet so i'll start in january oh that is so exciting such a brilliant fresh start to the year are you looking forward oh definitely yeah i've got some time off before i start so going to relax and then I will have a new job. I don't think you're going to relax. You're going to be putting your nose to some back-end books, I think. Well, yeah, that's what I have been doing, yeah. Well, I'm totally rooting for you. I can't wait to hear how things go. I think it's been a wicked transition and something we can all learn from. I'm just wondering before we wrap up, if you have any closing advice to aspiring developers listening today. I think my advice would just to reiterate that it's okay to take breaks. Like, I don't feel bad if you have to step away for a day or maybe a week. Life gets in the way sometimes. And I think my biggest thing was just don't be afraid to take some time off, but just be sure that you always come back 
give yourself a reason to come back, whether that's a project or, you know, a community, a friend that you have, or just that motivation to keep going. It doesn't matter how long it takes you to finish, as long as you finish. That is wonderful advice and a brilliant note to end the episode on. Molly Morgan, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. That was the first episode of the Scrimba podcast in 2023. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check out the show notes for all the resources mentioned in this interview, as well as all the ways you can connect with Marley. If you made it this far, please consider subscribing. And if you really liked this episode or another one of our episodes for that matter, please also leave us a rating or a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or honestly, wherever you're listening to this, if there's an option to rate and review a podcast, please do so. As I said in the mid-roll, word of mouth is incredibly important and we're really thankful for your support. The show is hosted by Alex Booker. You can find his Twitter handle in the show notes. If you're talking about the podcast on Twitter, make sure to mention him. He reads it all, he replies to it. And more importantly, we genuinely like hearing what you think about the show. We may or may not play with its format a bit this year, so any kind of feedback is greatly appreciated. I'm your producer, Jan, and we will be back next Tuesday.